Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you exalted and honored your son, that you spoke over him those words, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, and you sent your Holy Spirit to rest upon him, to lead him, to guide him, Lord, through trials and dangers, ultimately, Lord, through uh, to the cross and through to the resurrection. And we now honor him with you, Lord. We praise and magnify the name of the Son, Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would send your Spirit upon us, the Bride of Christ, so that we can be fully devoted to him in spirit and in truth. And we ask this as we open the book of Haggai, that your Holy Spirit would illumine this word and reveal Christ to us through it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, good to see you, and please take a seat. And you can turn in your Bibles or your bulletins to Haggai chapter 1. This week, we're beginning a new series called Let Your Hands Be Strong, a call to spiritual renewal from the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. And this series is going to take us through these prophets, and uh, we'll spend time in Haggai and Zechariah during Epiphany as well as during Lent. And I'm praying the Lord uses these teachings to strengthen our hands and strengthen our hearts. Well, it is winter in Chicago, which means that it's pothole season. This is the season where the roads freeze and then expand and then things happen. Craters form in the midst of the roads. And I don't know if you've had the experience where you like, you saw it too late and you're just like, ka-junk, ka-junk. And you can feel the axles of your car straining. Um, or maybe you've swerved to miss a pothole and you almost hit someone else or someone hits you, almost hits you because they're trying to miss a pothole. Or you're, you're on your bike and it's even more dangerous. Um, but every winter and spring, this is the, the time when we start, start calling the aldermen and being like, when are you going to fix the potholes and the broken speed bumps in my neighborhood? Um, not with a traffic cone. Don't fill it with a traffic cone. Fill it with pavement. Because as long as the pothole stays there, it's danger. And it's kind of a symbol. It becomes this symbol of like people don't care. The people who could do something about it are apathetic. And that apathy is a problem. Um, it's, a, it's a burden on everyone who's trying to make life work. Apathy more, means more damage to cars, potentially more accidents on the road. The time for fixing the potholes is not next month. It's not next year. The time for fixing the potholes is now. Now, apathy isn't just a problem for city officials. If you're here, you work for the city, thank you for your very good work. It's not a them problem. Apathy is not a them problem. Apathy is an us problem. A theologian, Uche Anazor from Biola, describes apathy as a, quote, passive aggressive hostility to God. Not the hostility of a shaking fist, but of a gaping yawn. And our job, for instance, might not be filling potholes. Maybe our job is filling orders for ungrateful customers. We might not have the title of alderman. We might have the title of husband, wife, daughter, son, aunt, uncle, fiance, ministry leader, student, brother, sister, or Christian. It's one thing to just have that title passively and kind of stand in it. It's quite another to fill that role with passion and creativity and sacrifice. 
God has a high calling for every single one of us. And as a church, he's got a high calling for us as well. He's calling all of us to give our lives for a greater purpose. But it's uncomfortable. It's costly to fulfill that call to say yes to God. There are easier ways to live our lives. And so apathy becomes a strong temptation for every single one of us. I wonder if in looking at verse 2 of Haggai 1, if we can hear the apathy. Can you hear the apathy as God speaks through the prophet Haggai? Verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. The time has not yet come. These people are saying, um, you know, around the table as they pass in the street, you know what, it's not the year to rebuild the temple. Who are these people? Well, these people are a small, bedraggled remnant of God's people who returned from exile. They, they returned to Jerusalem after being slaves, after being captives. Um, the, the temple was, was burned to the ground about 50 years before they came back. And they returned to Solomon's temple, once grand, uh, once a treasure for the whole earth, and they found it in ruins. God had prophesied that it would be rebuilt and that it would be glorious. And when they came back, there was still about 20 years to go before that prophecy was to be fulfilled. It was supposed to be rebuilt by 70 years after it had been destroyed. And they said, well, we rebuilt the foundation. We still got about another 20 years to go. So maybe we could do it later. The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. After all, where do you even begin? For them, what, where they began is their own houses. They just narrowed their ambitions and their vision from the house of God being rebuilt to, let's just rebuild our house with some nice wood paneling. Verse four, uh, uh, God says, is it a time for you, to uh, for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? See, these returning exiles had passion for something and they had passion for rebuilding, but it was just on a much smaller, privatized scale. They were working for nice, comfortable, attractive houses for them to live in. And there's nothing wrong with that per se, but their priorities were off. Their passions were misdirected. Rebuilding the house of God for his glory, eon. Rebuilding our house with some nice paneled decorations? Yes. See, most people are passionate about something. What do we find ourselves daydreaming about? What are we hoping to see when we pick up our phones or check our emails? The theologian I mentioned before, uh, Dr. Anazor, he talks in his book on apathy about how he, he found himself he finds himself teaching students about the great doctrines of the Christian faith, the fact that we're justified by faith, the fact that we're being set apart and sanctified, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the making new of all things, while secretly he's preoccupied with the Manchester United score. The resurrection of Jesus Christ? Eon. The soccer score? Yes. The scripture to read this morning? Yawn. The drink I'm going to enjoy tonight? Yes. 
Investing my life in the next generation? Uh, Investing my money in the next generation iPhone? Yes. Why do we grow apathetic about lasting things and passionate about fleeting things? In a word, scarcity. There's only so much energy. There's only so much time. And life demands enough of our time and energy already. So we narrow our vision to smaller things. And it sounds like this was truly happening in Haggai's day. Here is God's insights on the scarcity mentality of Israel. I invite you to look at verse 6. You have sown much and have harvested little. You eat and you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. I mean, can you hear the despair that they must have been feeling in their lives? God's people are hungry, cold, and tired. They're scraping by. They're trying to survive. They're eking out an existence. Who's got the time and the money to care about the house of God? So they're holding back from God out of their hurt, out of their pain, and out of their lack. Apathy tends to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Nothing I do makes a difference. Last time I tried, it was a lot harder than I expected it to be. So I don't feel like it anymore. Thus, I can't do anything. And as a result, nothing happens. Since nothing happens, why should I care? And on and on it goes. What do we need when we get stuck in that cycle of apathy? We need what the people of Israel needed, which is they needed a fatherly call from the living God to get them out of their funk and galvanize them into action. God's call is our way out of apathy. And here's his call. Verse 7 of Haggai. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up into the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. What's the call of God out of their apathy? It is a very specific vision, a very clear goal. Rebuild the house of God. Rebuild the temple that was constructed under Solomon. Go up to the hills of Judea, which at the time was wooded. Go on up there. Chop down the trees. Bring those trees down. The house of God lies in ruins, and it is your generation. It is your generation that has the job and the task of rebuilding it. It is your mandate. Now, why is this temple so important to God? If people are having such a hard time, why, why does he ask this of them? I want you to imagine that a, a long lost loved one, someone that you care about right now a lot, you're in touch with them, but imagine that you lost touch with them, your mom, your dad, a spouse, uh, an aunt or uncle, someone that you were really bonded with, but you got separated from them for years, for decades, and you couldn't see them. You couldn't have meals with them. You couldn't hug them. But the time came for a reunion. And finally, they've come to your apartment. They've come to your house. They, they buzz the buzzer. They buzz the doorbell. You come to the entrance. You give them a hug. Oh, it's so good to see you again. Yes, and, and, and you just are like, 
you know, in their presence. And, and then they're like, can I come in? And you say, well, ah, actually, life's been so crazy. I haven't had time to get your guest room ready. I I'm sorry. You know, it's just been like just schedules and everything. Oh, well, that's okay. Could I just, could we, could I come in? Could we have a meal together? Oh, you say, inflation's been so bad. I haven't really, I don't have enough money to get you any food. You know what? Actually, like, it's just overall, it's just a bad year. It's just a bad year. Could we do Christmas? Maybe next year. Now's not a good time, but I think next year would be a great time for us to reconnect. Like how dishonoring that would be to that very, is that really an important relationship for you? But that's exactly what the people of Israel were doing with the living God. They had finally returned from exile. He had brought them back. He had given them a chance to rebuild the temple and the temple symbolized his presence with them. That he was their God and they were his people. But it's lying in ruins. It's like this living symbol that they don't care about the presence of God. They don't care about being in a covenant relationship with the living God. They're saying your presence with us is not really a priority. It's not a good year. Building the temple, rebuilding it was a way to honor God, show passion for God, show welcome for God, to swing open the door and say, we've got your guest room ready. We've got the meal ready. We want you with us. We want to worship you. I love what God says in verse seven, where he says, consider your ways. Think about what you're doing. Think about the symbolism of your actions. It's communicating a message to me. And it's not good for you, he says. That it's not just, it's not just the living God whose glory and honor is being dishonored. It's, it's not good for the people themselves. And there are real consequences for their apathy. In verse 10, God says this, Therefore the heavens above, you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land, and the hills, and on the grain, and the new wine, and the oil, and what the ground brings forth on man and beast, and on all their labors. You see, the Lord of hosts is sovereign over everything. He's sovereign over agriculture and he's sovereign over his people. And God was withholding the blessings and the fruitfulness until the work commenced. It was part of the covenant arrangement that he had with his people. And this is not because God wants to be mean and vindictive. It's because he wants to prompt obedience that it would be good for them spiritually and agriculturally and physically and communally to rebuild the temple. The Lord is saying enough is enough. You've been here 18 years. The time has come. Your generation has a purpose and it's time to return to it. Obedience is acting before we feel like it. Okay, and the call has gone out from God. It reaches the ears of the apathetic people through the prophet Haggai. And now I want us to notice what happens. Notice the sequence of action that it begins with obedience. It begins with a change in action. Verse 12, Then Zerubbabel, the son of um, Shiltiel, Joshua, the son of Jehoiak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent them. And the people feared the Lord. They obeyed the word of the Lord because they feared God. 
And out of reverence for God and his glory, these people climbed up the hills of Judea. They must have formed work teams, chopped down the trees, sawed the trees to measurement, hauled them up uh, down the valley and up the Temple Mount. In the process, probably got callus on their hands and sweat on their brow. They dusted off old instructions for the temple. They fitted the beams of wood with the large stones that remained from Solomon's temple and up the temple went. And along the way, I wonder if any of them had any doubts. You know, is God really going to live here again? Will there be glory again? Will there be good days ahead for, for us? Whatever they thought and whatever they felt, in the end, they obeyed and that made all the difference. And after the work got started, they got a huge grace from God, a huge pat on the back. Verse 13, then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you declares the Lord. How encouraging it would have been to hear that from the living God. I'm with you. I'm seeing what you're doing. I'm watching this activity and I'm with you and I'm blessing it. I love the phrase that Haggai uses to describe what God did in each person's life. Verse 14. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatel, and the governor of Judah, and he stirred up the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and he stirred up the spirit of the remnant of all of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. The Lord stirred up the spirit of each person. This is exactly what we need when we're apathetic, isn't it? We have a spirit. We have a hidden place where either apathy or obedience can flourish, where we can either say yes or no to God's call. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. He's the governor of Judah. He's, he's the uh, king, actually, in, in the line of David. He has a noble heritage, and it's his turn to be king. And it's his time for his spirit to be stirred up, and the Lord stirred up his spirit, and he led, and he governed, and he did all the things necessary for the people, uh, like solving problems and forming teams and enacting good policies. The Lord also stirred up the spirit of Joshua, the high priest. You know, he's in the line of, of, of Aaron, the Levitical high priest. He also had a noble heritage. And Joshua stepped into his calling too. And he gave spiritual leadership to the people where it was lacking. And he led the remnant of people in prayer and sacrifices and keeping the Sabbath and learning the word of God. And the Lord also stirred up the spirit of all of the people of Israel. Yes, they were a remnant. Yes, they were, they were poor. Yes, they were um, coming out of slavery, but he stirred up their spirit. No, you also have a noble calling, a noble heritage. You're some of the sons and daughters of Abraham. When I pointed to the sky and said, Abraham, try to count the stars of the sky. Those are your children shining like stars in the universe. Guess what? You're one of those stars and you have a role to play. And this is your turn and this is your generation. They stepped out of their apathy into their rightful role as God's chosen people. And as the Lord stirred up their spirits, and as they went up to the hill to cut down the trees, and as they rebuilt the temple that had been torn down, little did they know that as they rebuilt the temple, they were preparing the way for Jesus Christ. The humble craftsmen who prepared a beam for the temple probably had no idea of the, of the absolute cosmic significance of his work and the blisters that he was getting and the splinters in his hands. 
So it is with us. We have a humble job to do, a role to play, but we are often unaware of God's grander plan, his greater plan. We see this humble obedience in Jesus Christ. When his closest friends fell asleep from apathy, he stayed awake saying, thy will be done, Father. This is not my will, but I will do it because you're asking me to do it. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. He obeyed the Father. He went up the hill, not to cut down the tree, but to die on the tree. And on the third day, the Father would rebuild him as the new temple, which stands forever. And Jesus Christ would not simply stir up our spirits. He would give his Holy Spirit in abundance, his greatest gift. He would pour out his gift on us. Jesus Christ pours out his Holy Spirit on the parched ground of our apathetic hearts, on the drought of our hearts, apathy. He pours out his spirit and his spirit actually causes us to overflow to become fruitful ground again as he refreshes us with his great mercy. He fills all the holes of our life. He fills all the shortcomings of our souls and our groups and our churches with his refreshing mercy. He causes us to bear great fruit. What has tempted you towards apathy? Have you been deeply hurt? Have you experienced great loss? Has there been a setback for you or a discouragement for you? Do you feel the true limits of your time, your energy, your money, your weaknesses? Do you feel afraid? Do you feel stuck in kind of the COVID zone of isolation? A prayer we can take up in this season is this, Lord, send your spirit to stir up my spirit. Lord, send your Holy Spirit to stir up my spirit, to stir up our spirit. What is the Lord stirring up for you in this season? Is there a work ahead for you, a calling ahead for you? You know, for some, I think that this season might be a time when you are being stirred up for intercessory prayer. Some here are called to the work of intercession. I think actually all Christians are called to participate in the work of intercessory prayer. Our prayers are powerful before God if we are in Jesus, especially when they are aligned with scripture and aligned with the will of God. God uses our prayers to open otherwise closed doors to the gospel. He uses our prayers to advance the church's mission and build the church. Our prayers bring peace where there is conflict and violence. They bring healing and new life where there is pain. Uh, fellow parents, you and I have responsibility before God for our kids. And because of that, we have authority to pray for them. We have authority to pray for them every day. And our prayers are effective and they're powerful and they're very important. No matter what their age is, young or old. Through our prayers, do you know what happens? God actually gathers and draws the living stones that he wants to make part of his temple. This is how the church is built now. As we pray, the Lord gathers and sometimes uses us in the process, often he does, to gather living stones for his temple and to build up his temple in glorious fashion as we wait for Jesus Christ. And so he also provides worship spaces for his church so that all those living stones have a place to gather. So let our hearts be stirred up for intercession this year, starting in a few minutes during prayers of the people.
For some here, I think that there may be new partnerships to be formed in this season. Some new partnerships for you. The partnership between Zerubbabel, the uh, governor or king, and Joshua, the high priest, was a very important revived and renewed partnership in this season. And we're going to explore this in the series. Zechariah's got a whole passage on it. That both of them needed to be restored to their true calling, but also partnered together as priest and as king in leading the people of Israel. Uh, I wonder what new partnerships are to be formed in our midst this year or old partnerships to be revived. It could be in mission, in discipleship, in the arts, even partnerships with Christians from other churches, like a neighborhood group praying for peace on your block or a faith and work group with other people in your vocation. Is there a spark of friendship the Lord might use to advance his plans in Chicago? Maybe there are new marriages to be blessed or new children to be born or adopted or fostered or godparents to be activated, or apprentices to be made. I invite you to pray with me for this, to watch for this, to be open for this. What about revived commitments? We talked earlier about the roles that we have in our lives. Parent, spouse, leader, employee, neighbor, teacher, Christian. For some, the Spirit may be giving you fresh zeal for this role that you have to see how special it is and how fleeting it is and how important it is to God. Your kids potentially are waiting for your leadership. Your marriage needs attention. Your team needs your energy. And this all comes from the Lord who fills you with his spirit and stirs up your spirit to love them. I am with you. I am with you, declares the Lord. We are not forsaken. Our lives and our calling mean something to God. This moment matters to God. So let us hear the invitation of God who is inviting us to be a part of his great work of renewal and revival in our day. We need only to give ourselves fully to him and he will replace our apathy with his passion. He'll give it to us through his Holy Spirit. He will show us what he has done uh, and he, has, he will show us what he has in store for us to do. So in Jesus' name and by the power of the Spirit, let your hands be strong. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.